welcome to the Soul Revival Church Podcast. My name is Melissa Poisel, and my husband TJ and I are the lead pastors here at Soul Revival. Thank you so much for listening in. We pray that today's message is encouraging and inspiring. Finally got a warm day, and it's so good to see you guys in this space. Might feel a little warm in here, but that's the Holy Spirit. He's just getting started. If I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you, my name's TJ, as my wife so eloquently introduced us, and we're excited this week to be jumping into a new series. So if you haven't been with us before, it's been a little while, that's cool, because we're all starting on the same space today. And the series that we're going to be starting is called When in Rome. When in Rome. Anybody ever heard that statement before? Yeah? All right, everybody. We're all on the same page. Awesome. Um, If you hadn't, though, I'll just say it anyways. But when in Rome is this phrase that means wherever you're at, just kind of do what they do. You know, get in to fit in and fit in so you don't feel awkward, right? It didn't rhyme. You're right, Penny. That was off the cuff. It didn't work out well. But you get where I'm going with it. Like, how do you fit into a space? And, you know, whether you're traveling throughout the world, whether you're going into a new space or meeting some new people, sometimes the easier thing in life is to say, you know what, I'm just going to fit in where I'm at. But we're going to look at it a little bit differently. We're going to be studying the book of Philippians uh, over the course of the next few weeks as we head into the summertime. Because Paul wrote this letter, which is a book of the Bible. He wrote this letter to the Philippian church when he was spending some time in Rome. And I feel like God's going to unpack some stuff for us. And spoiler alert, he was in jail when he wrote it. So if you're going to want to follow along within the Bible today, we're going to be in Philippians 1 to kick things off. Um, you can take your time getting there you got a Bible with you physically. If not, there's a free Bible app called YouVersion. You could look up and find the verses there as well. But we always want to share with people as we kick off our messages about the Bible because it can be intimidating for some of us. It could be something that you feel like is a book filled with rules and here's what you got to do so you can earn the love of God. So we want to set the record straight that this is a love story about the God of the universe who didn't want to do life alone. He said, you know what, I want to create some people so I can spend eternity with. So he created Adam and Eve. But when he created mankind, he also gave us the opportunity to make our own choices and our own decisions. And because of that, sin entered into the world. Sin meaning missing the mark. And when they missed the mark, it separated them from God, but he's been coming after us ever since. And this love story culminates when he sends his son Jesus to die for us because based on Jesus' death, as he lived life perfectly and through his resurrection, we are also resurrected and have direct access to the living God. That's exciting, right? So it's not a religion about rules. It's a relationship about a God who says, you have direct access to me. You can talk to me. You can hang out with me. You can come spend some time with me whenever you want to. And he actually delights in that. Whew, that's good. So Philippians 1. I'm going to start in verse 12. And it says, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And if you're taking notes today, the title of this message is kind of like the the first track of an album. It's When in Rome, but colon, letter from Roman jail. It doesn't look like that behind me. That's cool. If you look really close at the bottom, you'll see it says letter from Roman jail. But now you heard it, so you can write it down. You get extra credit when you take notes in heaven. I'm just kidding. I haven't used that joke in a while, so I thought I'd throw that one out there. It also didn't rhyme. 
Um, But I want to take a moment to pray for us today. God, I thank you. I thank you that you go before us, that you meet us right where we are, uh, and that you got a plan and purpose for all of us. And Lord, I pray that you would speak through me today. Holy Spirit, help me get out of the way, because there is something you have for each and every one of us. Lord, I pray that you would be glorified through all of this, and as we respond to the call that you've given us, as we walk out through our daily lives, that we would find you in the middle of it, and that we would live out our faith in you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I figure I'm going to also give you kind of the backstory, the prequel, if I may. Because if you're wondering about Paul and why is he in a jail and what is he writing about and to who, how did this happen? You ever read the Bible and you're like, all right, I don't really know the context. I don't know where things are and what he's meaning or who he's talking to, whether it's a letter from Peter or Paul or anybody. Anybody else ever been there? Thank you for the two of you. The rest of you are lying. I'm not calling you a liar. I'm just saying you're lying in this moment. What you do is not who you are. That's a message for a different day. But that's something that fascinated me. When I stepped into a relationship with Jesus, I was like, all right, as I'm reading the Bible, where does it all piece together? How does it all fit in? So Paul, if he's writing this letter called Philippians because he's writing it to the church in Philippi, which was comprised of a bunch of old Roman soldiers. So Philippi was this city that was on this major trade route and all these retired Roman soldiers kind of hung out there and they were all walks of life because on any major trade route, people from all nations and all backgrounds and upbringings would come and hang out there. Very diverse and cultured. Ooh, feels like Racine, right? And as he planted this church some 12 years prior to writing this letter, there was a journey that brought him there. See, for those of you, if you don't know who Paul is, Paul was a Pharisee. So when you read in the Bible about Pharisees and Jesus calling them out, yeah, Paul was one of them. And actually, after Jesus' death and resurrection, he was persecuting Christians. This guy named Stephen, who was boldly proclaiming the gospel, was actually someone that Paul had a part in stoning. And then he got this authorization to start traveling to all the different towns and say, hey, I'm going to gather up all the Christians. I'm going to make sure they pay for what they're doing. Make sure they're imprisoned, killed, whatever it takes. And he got the green light. So then on his road to Damascus, you might have heard road to Damascus before because something very important happened. As he was on his way to go and start searching and seeking Christians so he could persecute them, he had an encounter with Jesus, changed his life. They say it knocked him off his horse. If you read the Bible, it doesn't even say that. But that's another story for another time. Trying to summarize a whole lot of history quickly. So bear with me, but I think it's important because if we want to understand what he's saying and what he's coming from, you need to know where he came from. So now as he started to follow Jesus, he would go on these missionary journeys and started planting churches all over the place. And on his second missionary journey, he was trying to go to Asia. He's like, all right, I'm going to go to Asia. I need to go there. I just feel like I need to. And he kept hitting roadblock after roadblock, like the Holy Spirit was stopping him from going. Like, no, you need to go to Macedonia. He's like, all right, God, I'll listen. And sometimes we're trying to go some places God doesn't want us to do, and we keep wondering why we're not breaking through. Well, he might be trying to call you somewhere else. And as he listens to the Holy Spirit, you can only hear the Holy Spirit when you spend time with God. But as he responds to that and he goes into Macedonia, the first stop is in Philippi. And he meets a woman named Lydia. She had bank. Like, 
said she traded in purple something. That means she was real rich. And through him, she accepted Jesus. So then she started to be part of the ministry and started to help him plant this church there. So as they're hanging out and they're talking to Jesus to different people in Philippi, there's then this woman who was possessed by a demon who was going and being this fortune teller for these slave owners, kept following Peter, I mean Paul around, and Paul was like, hey, stop it, come out. So then he gets arrested, and he gets put into a jail cell. Now here he is in this new town, just planted a church, and he's in jail. And they start to praise and worship God. And as they worship God, the chains break free, and all the prisoners are released. So then the jailer's like, oh, no, I got to kill myself because I just failed drastically, this Roman soldier. And Paul's like, no, 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 hold up. We're all still here. It's cool. So then Paul shares with this jailer why he didn't leave, shares with him about Jesus. Then this jailer's like, hey, let me bring you back to my crib, and I'm going to introduce you to my whole family. Could you tell everybody about it? And his whole family was saved. This was the start of the church. In Philippi. Now, as Paul went on another missionary journey a few years later, he stops back again and hangs out with them. Then he hits up Corinth, and then in Corinth, he actually writes the book of Romans. And he's writing to Rome saying, Hey, I'm coming, because he hadn't been there yet. Do not be conformed by the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He's letting them know, live like Christ and not like the world, and I'm coming there for you. I just got to stop off in Jerusalem real quick. And as he goes and he makes this pit stop, he ends up getting arrested. Now he's sitting there for two years just awaiting trial, and he's like, oh, by the way, I'm a Roman citizen. So can I please have a trial before Caesar? So now they got to send him all the way to Rome. And he goes on this journey. And as he goes on this journey, he's on this ship, and he gets shipwrecked by Gilligan's Island. And he gets bit by a snake on this island. People are like, man, this dude is crazy. Boom, he's going to die. And he doesn't because God had his hand on him. And he's telling everybody there about who Jesus was. And then until finally, about three months later, he finally makes it to Rome. See, he thought he was going to show up as a preacher. That's what he wrote to the Roman people about. But he showed up as a prisoner. There's times where God's leading us places and we end up exactly where he wants us to. And it might not look the way that we had anticipated. But in all of this, he continues to share about who Jesus is. And now once he arrives in Rome and he's waiting for this trial to take place, about two years later is when he writes Philippians. So this dude has been through it. You know what I mean? Like four years locked up. Part of that was this ship journey, which I don't know about you, but I kind of get seasick sometimes. And then he gets bit by a snake. And then all these people are trying to kill him until he converts them, shares with them about who Jesus is. He's been on this long, drawn-out journey. And now he's in Rome, in jail. And his friend had actually brought some resources back to him from Philippi. Put some money on his books. For those of you who don't know what I just meant, it means like when someone's in jail that you love, you can put money on their account and they can buy stuff, snacks, music, shows, whatever. All right, now we're all on the same page. And he writes them a letter back to encourage them to say, look, I am so excited about who you are, what God's doing in your lives, and I have such a joy. Like this dude writing about joy as he's sitting in a jail cell. 
And he's thanking them for their investment and for what God has done in and through each of their lives. And he's so thankful and grateful for who they are. And this leads us into the text that we're in today, which brings us to Philippians 1, 12 to 13. I'm going to read it again to you. Where he says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. When in Rome, you don't have to look like Rome. And I want to talk to you today about three different circumstances, three different tools that God uses for Paul to share the gospel. Now, before I share that with you, I think it's also important to note why he is in chains. Because what he is even sharing right there is that I am in chains for Christ. Which means the reason why he's there is because he's been following Jesus, which brought him there. Because the first tool that God uses is the same tool that the enemy thinks he's using to keep you down and to pull you out. Which are chains. These chains for Christ. And that's important. Because sometimes our own decisions put us in a dumb circumstance and we find ourselves lost and confused and we feel like God put us there when really our dumb decisions put us there. Can I give you an example from my personal life? 18 years old, driving around in a car. And my friend's selling something he should have been selling. And I gave him a ride to a house. Shouldn't have stopped that. And a mile up the road, I see some lights behind me, red and blue ones. Anybody else get anxiety when you see them? No, probably because you have not made those choices. And as we get pulled over and I find myself in a jail cell, the last thing I'm thinking about is, how would this glorify Christ? I didn't even know Jesus. And I also wasn't thinking, how would this impact anyone else in my life? No, I was thinking about, man, how am I going to get out of here? Who can I call? Let me hit up my grandpa. Maybe he'll come bail me out because I need to get out of this mess. I was lost and I was confused. Now, those chains, that cell that I was in was because of my own stupid decisions. Praise God, he can restore and redeem all things because the me I was then is not the me I am now. And I'm thankful for that. And I hope that it brings some hope and some comfort to some people in here, whether it's you personally or somebody you personally know, because God wants to change and transform lives and he can do it and he can set people free. But sometimes when we put ourselves in a circumstance, it's not God that put us there. It's ourselves. But where Paul finds himself right now is because he's been following Jesus. God works all things together for the good of those who loved him, who have been called according to his plan. Meaning when you're following God, you might find yourself in some sticky situations, but he will work it for his good. So when you're following Jesus, you might find yourself in some chains, just like Paul. But there's something really exciting about that. doesn't sound like it though, right? But how else is he writing with so much joy? Philippians is known as the most joyfully written book in the Bible, like this dude who's been in jail for four years. Writes the most joyful book of the Bible because he sees God 
God's purpose and his plan through his circumstances. Because he knows it's not my life, it's God's life. And God, for whatever reason, has me where I'm at right now and he will use it. And the first thing he's going to use as a tool are the chains. He's going to use the chains. First, because of constant contact. Some people are just like, oh, constant contact. Some people are like, what does that even mean? So email lists, when they're sold to people in marketing, constant contact, that's when your email you got to delete and spend an hour each day just deleting the junk. Anybody else have like three different email addresses? One is what I give to stores, one is, no. But constant contact. So this is what's very interesting. These Roman soldiers each day as Paul was in this jail cell would have been chained to him. And they worked six-hour shifts, which means each day four people got to be attached to Paul. Constant contact with these soldiers, these people that were lost. And guess what he did? He talked about Jesus all day, every day. They couldn't get away from it. The chains that you're in right now, if you're following Jesus and it puts you in a situation where maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's a job, maybe wherever it is that God has you right now and you're looking for his purpose in it, don't try to break free from the chains, but ask yourself, what does God want to do to what I'm chained to? How does he want to use me to impact what I'm chained to? What's that going to look like when he uses me to impact the lives of who I'm chained to? And I wonder the irony and the things that would float through his mind because just 12 years prior, he was in a jail cell similar to it and chained to somebody and he saw this Roman soldier's life transformed. And now these Roman soldiers can't get away from him. I'm not telling you to be that crazy Christian, okay? I'm just saying, when Jesus transforms your life, the people that you're close to, they're gonna see it by the way that you live. That's what Paul was talking about. He's like, man, they know I'm in chains for Christ. They can't get away from me. It's constant contact. They're always here, so I got someone that has to listen to me. He's chained to me. How about that? It's constant contact. You want to know what else he had? Authorized access to the highest of the religious and the bureaucratic, let me just rewind real quick. The bureaucratic mess. <laughs> because Rome was the center of the known world. And because they had to listen to this case, because he asked for this trial, now the highest of the highest government agency had to review the file and the case for Christ. They probably came and asked him questions all the time. Why else do you think he was in there for two years? So now he's talking to people that he would have never gotten access to had he showed up as the preacher. But because he showed up as the prisoner, now he has access to some people he never should have. When you're following Jesus, you'll find yourself in some rooms you know you don't belong in. Do not feel discouraged. Don't feel embarrassed. Don't feel insecure. Be like, oh, God put me here for a reason. How's he want to use me to have a conversation with somebody? Because these chains can be the pathway to making a change. Something beyond what we could imagine. God will use us exactly where we are. And the third thing those chains did, this tool that God was using that the enemy thought was holding Paul back was actually furthering the gospel is it built up believers. They're like, dude is in prison. He's talking about Jesus to all the prison guards. Every single, all his cellies, they know about Jesus. He's hanging out with all the officials, sharing with them about Jesus. I can share about Jesus too. You ever been around somebody that's just like, it's contagious? Man, they're crazy and passionate about Jesus. I want some of what they got. Well, guess what you do? It's called the Holy Spirit. 
When you step into a relationship with Jesus and you accept him as your personal Lord and Savior, the fact that he died and rose from the dead for you, you now get downloaded with the Holy Spirit who will lead and guide your life and give you wisdom, but also give you a power that the world cannot deny. That you can walk boldly with it. That's what Paul was doing, and it was an encouragement to other believers, helping them grow in their faith. Here's the thing. Both discouragement and encouragement are both contagious. What do you want to spread? So Paul chooses to be joyful. It doesn't mean he's happy. It doesn't mean it's awesome. Who wants to be in jail? But he chooses to be joyful because he has Jesus, and he knows what he's doing is to help further the gospel. He's in the center of the known world, and he's talking to people he never would have had an opportunity to talk to any other time. But now he is, and he's using it for a positive impact to point people to Jesus. Those chains, those chains can bring life change, and you don't have to be free from it in order for it to happen. Because when you're following Jesus and you find yourself in some sticky situations and you might feel stuck, you're just planted. You're placed where God has you, and he has a plan for you there. And it continues. Verse 15. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supporting that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. For a long time in my life, I had a hard time understanding what was former and what was latter. So if anyone else has ever been there, former just means before and latter means what came after. So he's saying, hey, the people beforehand were not doing it for the right motive and the people after were doing it for the right motive. But the second tool that God will use to help further his kingdom that you might be really frustrated by are critics. Critics. Here's the thing about critics. Critics stand on the sideline and they watch you live. But when you're following Jesus and you're living it out, you don't have time to criticize. And I'm cool being criticized because I am following Jesus. When you know what you're doing and why you're doing it, it doesn't matter. So for Paul, when he looks at the situation, he's not saying, oh, man, why are they talking junk about me again? Don't they see what we're doing and what I'm all about? He's like, no, I'm celebrating because Jesus is being talked about irregardless. I don't care what their motives are. The fact is Jesus is being preached. He doesn't allow it to get to him. He says, hey, I'm, I'm cool right now. Those people that are encouraging me, those that are trying to discourage me, they cannot do anything to impact me because I know who I am in Christ. If you need to know about your identity a little bit more, check out last week's message where we dove into it and who we are in Christ. But there are critics that we might feel are pulling us off from our calling, but you cannot allow that to be the case. Don't allow that to pull you down. Don't allow that to discourage you because God will use even critics to point to Jesus. See, when God works all things for the good of those who are called according to his plan, it means his plan, not my plan. So sometimes his plan means we might go through some stuff, but ultimately it's for him to get the glory and not us. So who cares about a critic? 
If you know you're doing what you're called to do, you know you're going after Jesus and you're loving people the way Jesus has called you to do, then keep doing it. Because the reality is we're all broken and nobody's perfect. We're all going to make mistakes. I'm probably going to let some of you down. I probably already have, and I'm sorry for that. But if you know that my heart is because I just love Jesus, I own what I realize, and I want to work through it because I know God's call for our lives, we can't allow what other people's thoughts are impact us because we just need to follow Jesus because Jesus wants to change and transform the world. Because when we start arguing with our critics, we become a critic ourselves, and then the world looks at it and goes, why do I want that Jesus? But when we say, hey, I don't know what's going on around me, but I know what's going on above me. I know who he is. I know how much he loves me and cares about me. So who cares if someone's talking junk about you in the hallway or online? Don't let it impact you because you know the impact God has called you to make is greater for him than anything else. Because look, here's how he continues, which is so good. He says, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. He's like, I'm confident God's gonna work through this and I'll have deliverance whether here or in the next life because I know who I'm doing it for. The reality is the critics that we have and that we face, like really, we need to pray for, have compassion for. Because I want everybody to know Jesus. I want everybody to have such an intimate relationship with him that they just wanna point others to him along the way. And Paul faced it. He faced critics. He's like, I just... I can't allow that to impact me. Someone else was facing that same thing. A man by the name of Martin Luther King Jr. Anybody ever heard of him? He wrote this letter from Birmingham jail. See, I changed it from Birmingham to Roman, you know, no copyright infringement. But as he was fighting for injustice and he was seeking justice, He was getting a lot of criticism from a lot of critics that called themselves Christians. And I love it. I I spent time reading the whole thing this week, and it's so good. But I'm going to read a quote that he wrote. He said, I am in Birmingham because injustice is here. Just as the 8th century prophets left their little villages and carried their thus saith the Lord far beyond the boundaries of their hometowns, and just as the apostle Paul left his little village of Tarsus and carried the gospel of Jesus Christ to proactively, to practically every hamlet and city of Greco-Roman world, I too am compelled to carry the gospel of freedom beyond my particular hometown. Like Paul, I must constantly respond to the Macedonian call for aid. And I think the criticism that Martin Luther King faced was a little bit more than what we face on a daily basis. But he was rooted in his faith, and he's like, I'm here where I am right now because I know it's to help further the gospel. God has called us to seek justice and to love people well and always align our lives to what the Bible says, what Jesus lived, what Jesus modeled. And when we do so, critics don't really matter because what we're doing is following Christ. 
and we continue to share Christ just as he reflected on it in that moment. I'm going to ask Becky to come up. I'm almost done. There's one more C for you. Philippians 1.20 says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, exalted or magnified. So the other tool that God will use that the enemy thinks he's using to pull you out is crisis. He's in the middle of a crisis. He's on trial for his life, not only for Christianity as a whole, but he knows that if this outcome doesn't go his way, that he will be killed for his faith. That's a crisis if I've ever heard one, you know. But he continues to rejoice and say, strong. Because his desire is that Christ would be exalted or Christ would be magnified. Envision a telescope. And if you look up and you see a star that looks really tiny, very far away. But then you get a telescope and you look at it and boom, now it looks big, right up in your face. In your face. It's the same thing that God wants to do through us to help magnify Jesus in the lives of those around us. And the way that he will do that is when we're in the middle of a crisis because people are looking, how do these Christ followers respond to a crisis? Because if we act just like the world and start freaking out like, oh, what am I gonna do? Versus I will continue to rejoice because as long as Christ is pointed to, I'm okay. Such a drastic difference. So as we follow Christ and we find ourselves in the middle of a crisis, we need to know that Christ still holds us and he's saying, how do you wanna use this situation to magnify me? Because those around you are watching. And God wants to do something in and through your life so that you would point to him. These tools that God has are these beautiful opportunities. And it seems weird, I know, to call chains, critics, and a crisis a beautiful opportunity. That's who God is. That's what he's in the business of doing. He's saying, watch what I can do with the situations you find yourself in because of your faith in me. When it feels like all hope is lost, when it feels like you don't have anything else, when it feels like you can't carry on, I am with you and I will encourage you and give you strength. And through his Holy Spirit, he will help us not only endure a situation, but rejoice in the middle of it. Because we know that through us, God is using our lives to impact someone else's. That's what sacrifice is. That's what Jesus did for you and for me. He said, you know what? I'm going to put my life on the line for everyone else. Jesus, who lived a perfect life, went to the cross and died for you and for me so that we could have salvation. No matter what the circumstance, you can find joy in your junk because you know that it's pointing to Jesus when you're following him, when you're saying, God, I want my life to fully look like yours. I want to pursue you with everything I've got. I want my life to be a reflection of you. I want to magnify you and let others see you. I want to love everybody always. And I want my chains to allow those chained to me 
to see you through me. Because that's what God can do. I want to read one last quote to you from Mr. King, Dr. King. He says, was not Paul an extremist for the gospel of Jesus Christ? I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. So the question is not whether we will be extremists, but what kind of extremists will we be? Will we be extremists for the hate or will we be extremists for love? Will we be extremists for the preservation of injustice or will we be extremists for the cause of justice? What will we be extreme in? We can't just be lukewarm. We gotta be on fire. And if we're on fire for Jesus, we've gotta be an extremist about love. But it starts with us allowing ourselves to receive the love that comes from God. Receive the salvation he's offering you. In verse 21, he continues, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For Paul, he said, I'm an extremist for Christ and I'm good regardless of the outcome. When he says to live is Christ, to die is gain, he's saying, if I die, I'm good because you know what? I'm going to heaven with God. And if you continue reading through those verses, he says, I'd actually welcome that and I would prefer that, but God's not done with me yet. So whatever I face on this side of heaven, I'm cool with it because whatever I face, I know I'm facing it for Christ. I know I'm facing it for a purpose, to make an impact, and I know that I'm going to be an extremist for love because God is love. The love that we have an opportunity to share is also the love we have the opportunity to receive because Jesus offers it freely to us all. And through him, he wants to use our lives to make an impact on the world around us. So when in Rome, don't try to be like everybody else. When in Rome, follow Jesus. When in Rome, love. When in Rome, do what's countercultural and show up in people's lives and show compassion and do the things no one would expect of you. And when they say, why? You say, Now, there might be someone in this space today, too, that's never made that decision to step into a relationship with Jesus. You're like, how do I go live something out that I haven't fully received yet? What does that look like? I want that. You're talking about this reception of love. What can that look like within my life? Well, here's the good news. There's no ritual you have to go through. There's no course you have to go through. God's word says if you... Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. That salvation is just a matter of saying, I believe. I believe that Christ came and that he lived and that he died for me, but that he rose again because he is the son of God. And that through him, all my sins are forgiven. Through him, all my worries and my cares can go at his throne because he bore the cross for me. So in a moment, I'm gonna count to three. And when I get to three, and if that's you and you say, yes, I want a relationship with Jesus, I would just ask if you shoot your hand in the air. And if you have the courage and boldness, say, I believe out loud, whether you need to belt it at the top of your lungs or maybe you just need to say it quietly under your breath, but God can hear you in a whisper. But I believe God's word to be true, that if he says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you've got to confess it, so just speak it. Say, I believe. Or maybe it's, I believe. But either way, In this moment, would everyone bow your heads and close your eyes for me? I just want to make this a safe space for those looking to respond.
I get it. Some might still know your voice, but guess what? You know how excited they'll be when they know that you made that decision today? One, you need to know that Jesus, he died for you. Two, he will come and meet you in the middle of your heartache and your brokenness and whatever you're facing. He will restore it and give you hope. And three, if that's you today, would you lift your hand in the air? Would you raise it high? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Praise God. You can go ahead and put them down. God, I thank you so much for those who made that decision today. I thank you that they made that decision to step into a relationship with you. We are celebrating with all of heaven as they rejoice over these lives that have been changed and transformed. God, I pray that you would encourage their hearts, that you would surround them with fellow believers that will walk with them through it all. God, you are so good and you are so worthy. We thank you that you died for us and that you see our sin as far as the east is from the west. We are sorry for where we fall short, but we thank you that you never do. Lord, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining Soul Revival Church Podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review us to help reach more people with the hope and love of Jesus. If you would like to support our ministry, you can visit us online at www.soulrevival.church.